Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? It's been a crazy week for me. I've been here in Nashville uh, just trying to get things right with Bitcoin 20, 2020 and Bitcoin Magazine. It's always fun getting out here in the south. It's like 100 degrees out, but I'm not going to complain too much about the weather. How are you doing, my friend? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I'm actually really excited about this episode. I think it's actually going to be a pretty decently well-listened-to episode in the Ethereum community just because uh, I think this is going to be Christy's first chance to have a long-form interview uh, or... um, you know, just a a long form piece of content where she shares her thoughts. And I think this is going to be a really uh, good way for her to, to be heard. Um, Granted, uh, in in my community, I was I was told to think adversarially uh, with when it, when it comes to Christy Lay. I don't think she's the most trusted person uh, in crypto, in the the world of Ethereum. Um, but she also addresses some of the points that uh, talk about why she has been um, positioned in that in that particular manner. Uh, I I like Chrissy Lay. She seems really smart. Um, she talks about things that I don't really understand. So I do want to throw out a disclaimer that like. Uh, I might not have been the best Ethereum host uh, of this side of things because um, I was not. I'm not really deep in the ProgPow debate. Uh, I just wanted to give Christy a a chance to to speak, uh, and so that's what this this is. Um, other people who are arguing on the other side of this this pretty contentious debate uh, are definitely worth talking to, uh, and and we name them throughout the episode. I don't really want to name them here in the in the intro, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah, personally, I would actually be super interested to get some of the counterpoints onto the podcast as well, just to get a you know full three sixty POV on the whole subject matter. But kind of my take on the whole thing is that this is why Bitcoin doesn't hard fork. But before we get too deep into all of that, I want to tell you guys about our fantastic sponsor, the Haven Privacy App, the Haven Marketplace, Open Bazaar, OB1. Uh, this organization, this group, this open source community um, has really been instrumental in helping us make POV crypto possible. And they have really built a fantastic app that allows you to use cryptocurrencies. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, Zcash, Litecoin, uh, Bcash, unfortunately, (laughs) cryptocurrencies that are going to allow you to stake your sovereignty, to claim your privacy, and to engage in commerce in a way that is just a lot more aligned with the values of the open source crypto community. Um, I have been Really enjoying seeing the app grow and seeing the marketplace grow in different products, in professionalism, in different retailers. Um, It's pretty clear to see that a lot of the people jumping onto uh, the platform are not from America. I'm assuming that, you know, a lot of these places don't have Amazon, don't have eBay, don't have Craigslist. So cryptocurrency and Haven and Open Bazaar are creating the infrastructure that they need to get up to speed to the rest of the world. And, you know, this is really foundational infrastructure that is just so important for getting everyone into the future. Without further ado, let's just get right into the podcast. Uh, This is a really juicy one. Please open your minds to Christy Leigh Minahan. Christy Lee Minahan, welcome back to POV Crypto. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. So Chrissy, we had you on a month ago, no, like two or three months ago to talk about mining. And we talked a little bit about, about um, ProgPow, but some interesting stuff has unfolded. Before I give, because I'm actually not too up to speed with um, ProgPow, I've been following it. Um, and, but there's also some other drama as well. And I, but I think it would actually be most beneficial if you started uh, uh, kind of where you think this story starts um, as the, the person that this story centers around. Like, what was the genesis of all of this uh, hubbub? Oh, dear. That, that's a lot. I mean, the genesis of all, a lot of this drama comes from the fact that, um, well, I guess I should take a step back and state, um, in 2018, when I wrote the uh, article called The Problem with Proof of Work, we highlighted on some of the um, tactics that had been seen historically when an ASIC manufacturer's investment was threatened, or really when anyone's financial investment is threatened, and the kinds of tricks and the kinds of historical um, acts that had been committed in order to sway the public's view on a certain opinion. What has happened um, is ProgPower has successfully passed two of its audits. One was a software audit, uh, looking over the cryptographic. Sorry, before we hop into ProgPower, oh, yeah. will you explain your background with ProgPower as well? Oh yeah, um, I am Miss If of If Def Else and one of the uh, one of the developers and creators of ProgPal. And uh, I think that's all there is to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so going, uh, continuing where I left off, um, ProgPal uh, was announced. Oh geez, at the start of 2018. Um, initially, it was sent to Vlad Zamfir and and Vitalik Buterin, because at that point, Def, Elsa, and myself had no idea about how Ethereum governance worked. And we assumed that, you know, Vlad and uh, Vitalik made all the decisions in Ethereum, because obviously, you know, when you're dealing with the business, you go to the CEO and the CTO of a company. Who do you go to in Ethereum? So we messed up there. Um, Vlad, <laughs> Vlad encouraged us to make a, um, a white paper. And it took us about a month and a half to actually get the uh, white paper and the EIP out there because we had no idea what we were doing. And uh, Nick Johnson shepherded us through that whole process, which was pretty awesome. And so um, again, sorry to yeah. cut you off because I am not starting off this podcast like a good host. Uh, why is ProgPow important and how does it meaningfully impact mm -hmm. Ethereum and what's the motivation behind it? So some of the misconceptions are that um, ProgPow is important. It's, it really depends on what the community wants. The Ethereum uh, yellow paper had a very specific quote about why ETHash was designed to target GPUs. They painted ASICs as a scourge upon networks and a centralizing force. And ETHash was designed to target GPUs. A lot of the miners entered Ethereum on that social contract, knowing that Ethereum was a GPU mineable cryptocurrency, and that it was a GPU mineable network. The problem with ETHash was that it has a vulnerability in it, and it does not fully saturate a GPU, meaning that you can create a very specialized ASIC with up to 10x performance gain over a GPU. Um, and this just comes as a result of software developers not understanding how hardware is designed and built and not having the ability to fully saturate the hardware. There is nothing wrong with that. It's a common theme in um, all proof of work algorithms. So in order to fulfill uh, Ethereum, uh, sorry, Hash's vision of targeting GPUs, ProgPal was just a minor tweak to Hash. 
Um, it was called PROGPOW because it stands for Programmatic Proof of Work. Um, and why it's programmatic is it does have an element of randomness to it. So GPUs are really beneficial with, um, sorry, really excel at random math. And PROGPOW has um, a set of random math that happens every one, two, three, 50 blocks. You can configure that. Um, and that randomness helps uh, saturate a GPU's core and utilize what GPUs are really great at, which is mathematics. So um, it's an effort to keep the social consensus, the social contract that we entered with Ethereum, which was to prioritize GPUs over all other machines. Is that correct? Correct. Well, that was Ethash's social contract. Right. Right. Um, Ethash couldn't fulfill that goal. We saw massive vulnerabilities and we just wanted to fix them. Okay. And aside from, you know, just doing it because it was fun, because that's what engineers do, there was no other incentive really behind it. Um, and we told uh, Vlad and Vitalik a lot of our reasoning and then, you know, threw it out there. And if the community wanted to adopt it, so be it. Um, in, the, uh, in the very early days of ProgPow, it was actually met with overwhelming support from miners. And that was because it wasn't really well known to ASIC manufacturers yet. It hadn't reached mainstream media. So a lot of people were very excited about it. A lot of people had questions. Um, a lot of people wanted to understand how was it different from hash, et cetera. And ProgPow was inherently a very technical discussion because you have to walk people through how silicon is designed and how GPUs are actually created um, to help them understand how ProgPow fulfills its goals. Um, and so it was left largely unignored for, uh, sorry, largely ignored for almost, I want to say six months, but don't quote me on the timelines, until um, it decided to get pulled into mainstream uh, discussion with the Ethereum uh, developers call. Um, Hudson reached out to me and a few others from the EF and asked, would I like to speak at DevCon 4? Um, I'd largely forgotten about ProgPal. I had taken a job at a blockchain infrastructure and AI infrastructure company, Core Scientific, as their chief technology officer. So I'd largely forgotten about it and moved on. But I said, sure, hey, what the hell, why not? Um, and I gave a bit of a presentation on ProgPal, you know, what, um, how mining really works at scale, some of the psychology behind mining, um, the different kinds of user engagement you can get with FPGAs, GPUs, and ASICs and why choosing a proof of work algorithm and a consensus algorithm um, is very critical to the kind of users you can onboard into your ecosystem. So most people think that ASICs are inherently bad. ASICs are not inherently bad. Um, and this subject matter was we, what we talked about on our first episode. So if that last mm -hmm. line interests you, go back to our previous episode and listen to, listen to that. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about a little bit about how ASICs attract you know, enterprise users. GPUs really do attract a certain subset of developers. FPGAs target um, enthusiasts and researchers. They are actually more centralizing than either ASICs or GPUs simply because of the supply chains right now. Um, and then you have CPUs, which are, you know, the ultimate commodity grade um, uh, hardware that, you know, is available everywhere. However, Ethereum was always about GPUs. So, um, that one was tabled and, you know, it was met with, um, a lot of positive, um, a lot of positive, uh, criticism, which was great and a lot of excitement, um, and largely didn't pay attention to it aside from attending a few developer calls here and there. About, I want to say January this year, 
um, an Ethereum ASIC manufacturer came into play, uh, Lindsay ASICs. Actually, it was probably towards the end of 2018. Um, and they were generally friendly at first. Um, and they had actually, they actually congratulated me on ProgPal, et cetera. Um, when ProgPal started getting more and more traction, um, they started to spread this, this amusing conspiracy theory that somehow I was paid by NVIDIA and uh, AMD to create ProgPal. And it's now spun entirely into, I'm just paid by NVIDIA. And then they looped Core Scientific into it. So somewhere apparently, oh. So okay. for the super noob, loser, uh, super noob uh, people <laughs> of, of crypto, uh, why would NVIDIA- you just call them a loser? I almost did. I almost did. Where did you skip? <laughs> why would AMD and NVIDIA want ProgPal to go in? How does that help them? <laughs> so the conspiracy theory is that um, ProgPal uh, targeting GPUs will increase GPU sales and thus GPU manufacturers um, would benefit from it. However, GPU manufacturers don't actually care about crypto at all. Um, the TAM for cryptocurrency mining is way too volatile and it's way too small to pay too much attention to. Now, what NVIDIA and AMD and actually all hardware manufacturers do care about is paying attention to where their products are going because the, um, the aftermarket sales and also the gray market in China is heavily watched. So um, especially in GPUs, manufacturers keep track of where these GPUs are, where they're being sold, how they're being used. Um, this is done for legal reasons. You know, they don't want to have a bunch of GPUs suddenly end up in North Korea, for instance, um, and then they're held accountable of, hey, how did those get there? Um, for ASIC manufacturers, uh, sorry, for FPGA manufacturers, they like to track um, how some of these used um, or supposedly faulty chips end up in commercial products. I'll go into detail on that a little bit about how that's entered the ASIC market as well. Um, so they keep track of supply chains. This conspiracy theory uh, took hold um, when, we, when we unveiled that we had consulted with both AMD and NVIDIA to review an initial version of ProgPal. Um, Vlad, uh, Vlad Zamfir, Vitalik, and a few others from the Ethereum Foundation were actually on the email chains when we did the initial consulting. So we wanted to take people along on the journey. We just, we still assumed at that point that, you know, the Ethereum Foundation was this ruling body um, that made all the decisions and oh, how wrong we were. <laughs> um, Interesting. So, <laughs> so this, it, oh yeah. I was going to say as a Bitcoiner, a lot, or a lot of people in the Bitcoin community would still generally say that the ETH Foundation has a very heavy hand in mm -hmm. how ETH governance works. Uh, so I, I'll let you elaborate um, as you or continue your story. But as it goes, I would love to hear a, like com comparison of you know how the narrative is and of like how Ethereum government work governance works mm -hmm. versus the kind of the reality that uh, you experienced. So we think that Ethereum governance is the community makes the decisions. The problem with that is um, humans don't actually want to take a standing position for what they believe in for very, very, very many reasons. So breaking it down, we thought that, hey, you take this idea to the Ethereum Foundation and then they understand what, we're what we tried to accomplish and then they go spread the narrative. The actual process is to go create the EIP and then champion it to the community. Now, unfortunately, 
who do you start championing it to? You either champion it to the miners, most of which do not actually, uh, are not actually involved in the same sort of circles as the developers. You also have to champion it to the developers and help explain what you're trying to accomplish because the developers are the people that have to implement it into their protocols. It's all very messy. What we ended up finding is that um, there's no such thing as governance in Ethereum, period. No one wants to take a stand to make any decision because it's seen as too centralized. And when you do take a stand and make a decision, you attract, um, you attract a very, very angry mob towards you. And that scares a lot of people. Poor Hudson has had to deal with that um, very recently. So Ethereum governance is right now a mess. And part of the other drama that stemmed from ProgPow is people saying that, hey, this is a very contentious EIP that it's gonna cause a chain split. Um, the problem with this kind of argument is that not making a decision is also you know, going to cause a chain split. It doesn't matter which way you go. When proof of work and proof of stake um, finally split ways, there's going to be a chain split. ProgPal was uh, designed way back when, when we were still on Casper fi uh, Final Fatality Gadget. Um, it was designed to ensure a gentle transition to proof of stake. Um, basically saying, hey, keep GPU mining as decentralized as possible, keep your user base intact, and slowly progress them over to proof of stake and ease out and phase out the hardware and ensure that no new investment in hardware goes into the network. Unfortunately, what's happened is ASICs are starting to be built for the Ethereum network. We have two manufacturers that have publicly announced new machines. And previously, there were also two other manufacturers. So you have InnoSilicon. They have about a 3.4x speed up over a commodity GPU. You have Bitmain, only a two, um, I think it's a 1.2x improvement over a commodity GPU. So not that great. You have Lindsay ASICs. Um, I actually haven't uh, factored in what their speed up is, but I believe it's 4x over a commodity GPU, though someone should check my numbers on that. And then you have Canon. Canon recently, um, actually only a few days ago, announced their Ethereum ASIC, which is 7.5x over, um, over a commodity GPU. What's going to end up happening is people will buy these ASICs. People will invest more money into the proof of work portion of Ethereum, quite a lot more money. When proof of stake starts to hit, those, uh, those ASIC um, miners will do whatever it takes to ensure that their network's long, uh, longevity is insured. And that can cause a lot of interesting things like contentious forks or right. potentially um, hostile takeovers and all sorts of interesting things. We saw that quite a bit in Bitcoin's history with uh, UASF and the resulting political wars there. I think it was Eric um, uh, or Econar, I think he is on Twitter. He oh, actually yeah, Eric, said, Eric Connor. Mm -hmm. Yes, Eric Connor. I think he was the one that said that um, ProgPow is Ethereum's uh, UASF. And it's actually quite true. <laughs> um, a lot no, of I don't the, think that was Eric, but I do know what tweet you're talking about. Who was ah, that? Ah, you do. I saw that tweet as well. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure I'm quite convinced, but uh, I'd be interested to see I think that was how a, you draw I mean, the analogy. Actually. Anyways, oh, what, 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 yeah. Talk about controversy. Well, um, uh, okay. What is the USAF moment? UASF. UASF. User activated soft fork. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't mean. 
Okay. Ah, okay. There we go. My apologies, Eric. Congratulations <laughs> to Amin. I thought it was a very good tweet. Um, while, while it might be, um, while the politics might be a little different, the story still carries on. Right now you have miners asking for something and you have developers uh, asking for something else. And then you have these large political bodies trying to lobby for other, um, uh, mm -hmm. other decisions. So largely ProgPal was a bunch of political nonsense um, for a few months until the Ethereum core developers decided to put their foot down and say, hey, let's get an audit on these things. People mm -hmm. are cr claiming Christie's left some scary backdoors in the code, which by the way, is the best publicity I could ever get. Somehow <laughs> I managed to fool everyone in the world and left some crazy backdoor optimization in. Mm -hmm. So the narrative goes. Um, and let's check the cryptographic security of it because it does use a different um, a different uh, implementation of uh, Ketchak. Um, and let's actually uh, check the hardware feasibility. How quickly could you create a ProgPal ASIC? And that was a really good step in the right direction. And actually the people that funded it were a combination of miners, the Ethereum Foundation, uh, mining pools and individual contributors. So that was really great. ProgPal was under audit for, I want to say three, um, two or three months it was completely like there was very little um, noise in the ecosystem. And then I think it was three weeks ago, uh, the Ethereum cat herders finally released the audit. Um, quick summary of it is least authority said, hey, this Ketchak uses a different kind of padding. You need to consult with um, the people that created Ketchak to make sure everything is cryptographically secure. We've cleaned a lot of that up um, as if deaf elves. Uh, and then they went through um, some of the other possible optimizations. They did focus on a very interesting piece that I do want to talk about, which is the hash light ca uh, cache vulnerability. And I'll get into that a little bit uh, later. And then um, it, in general, it's, state, it's, uh, its opening words were, hey, ProgPal accomplishes its designed goals. So it was great. It was a glowing report. Hardware audit was by Bob Rao. Um, Bob Rao uh, is legendary. He's an Intel um, uh, technical fellow. He's basically the guy that um, helped optimize the silicon supply chains at Intel and helped do a lot of the optimizations on silicon. He's like, I have a very big uh, nerd crush on him. So he's amazing. It was a really big honor to have him do the audit. And he went through the, um, the, ACE, uh, the ASIC resistance portion of ProgPal. Hey, does ProgPal actually brick um, Ethereum ASICs? And how could you make a more efficient um, ProgPal ASIC than a GPU? And he went through and he summarized very clearly, hey, um, memory architecture is advancing. Um, as memory architecture advances, ProgPal is going to um, uh, slip out of balance with GPUs. Very fair assumption. Um, he actually went through the, um, there's controversy that apparently ProgPal favors NVIDIA cards over AMD. He went through that and thoroughly debunked it, which was great. And he went through the energy expenditure portion. It was a really great hardware audit, highly technical, um, a little bit of a heavy read, but uh, good in general. And so everyone was super happy for two days. And then the uh, FUD machine started up again. Um, led by good old Amin and Lindsay Asics. <laughs> 
So before before we get into that, I kind of want to just recap for uh, our listeners. So ProgPal changes the mining algorithm for Ethereum to brick the ASICs that are coming out. Um, we might be interested in that if we are interested in preserving the social contract that Ethereum started with, which was always being a GPU-based blockchain. Uh, this, this, and w- w- this is one thing I want to talk about. Uh, this, uh, in, th- in theory, could, could ease the transition to proof-of-stake because we, if we kill, um, kill ASICs out of the chain now, uh, then we don't have to worry about it when we transition to proof-of-stake. Um, what uh, what Christy is saying is that there are a bunch of ASIC manufacturers who think that they can get an ROI by developing developing ASICs. And if we don't put in ProgPow, then uh, those uh, manufacturers can con- continue to put more and more capital into developing more and more ASICs, and therefore they have more and more at stake. And therefore, when we go into proof of stake, they have all of that greater incentive to st- uh, keep a new fork of Ethereum, a new chain of Ethereum alive and well that's proof of work, effectively sp- splitting the chain. So uh, ProgPow, uh, in theory, might mitigate this if we implement this now. Just to kind of add to that a little bit too, uh, I think it's not necessarily just the hardware manufacturers, it's both hardware manufacturers as well as anyone that would be investing in this infrastructure, building out the data centers by so the important thing to understand is there's a difference between a gpu data center and an asic data center as well most people that have built out gpu data centers whether it's in china or america or kazakhstan wherever it is in the world are going to repurpose it for rendering or forms of ai or ml now i caution when i say ai and ml because that's a very big field And a lot of these miners will tell you they're doing AI or ML, but they're not actually making any money from it. Still, they're trying to repurpose their hardware. They also repurpose it on uh, other chains. A lot of people hate that, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later. ASICs, on the other hand, are very custom, special purpose um, built. ASICs have this uh, interesting tube design, which has a completely different CFD from GPU rigs. They consume much more power, so they favor um, high-density clusters of power. We're talking 20, 50, you know, um, up to 100 megawatts in one uh, actual location. And they have a much tighter density than GPU. Uh, Actually, is that correct to say? I guess, um, you know, you can have 10,000 ASICs, and it's going to um, take up a much smaller density compared to 10,000 GPU rigs. GPU rigs do not have the same sort of power footprint. They have very similar thermal footprints in that, you know, an eight GPU rig might mimic um, the wattage of one ASIC, um, but GPUs require a lot more physical space. And it's very hard to get these massive monstrous clusters that could take over Ethereum with GPUs. Um, You know, even if you have 200, 300,000 GPU cards, you're not going to be a significant portion of the Ethereum network. So it's much more decentralized in that manner. Um, people that have invested infrastructure in ASICs will be highly incentivized to uh, ensure that ASICs have longevity. They can't really utilize that data center for any other things. Um, when, you, when you try and take an ASIC data center and repurpose it for GPUs, a lot of uh, CapEx has to be laid out. Not a lot, actually. Let me clarify. Uh, 
a small amount of capex has to be uh, laid out. You have to redo your thermal taping, redo your racks, etc. Um, and uh, actually, it defers by uh, ASIC model as well. So they're going to be highly incentivized to protect that investment. Um, GPU manufacturers, on the other hand, they'll go, okay, well, Ethereum's gone now. Let's move on to some of them will go to Zcash. Zcash is still profitable on GPUs, amusingly. Um, they might go to uh, Ravencoin. They might go to Beam um, or any of the other GPU mineable coins and stay on that network. Um, or they might go over to Ethereum Classic. Who knows? So uh, one of the big uh, reasons why we wanted to get you on the podcast is because you recently stepped down from your uh, role as CTO at Core Scientific in order to specifically work on ProgPow. Um, at least that's what, that's what you said on Twitter. Um, so can you go into why it was necessary to step down from Core Scientific and uh, why are you so uh, uh, attached to ProgPal, like I, clearly, it, it takes a lot to to remove yourself from the CTO of a pretty sweet uh, company to to work on an EIP. Can you kind of walk us through your thought process there? So it was a combination of things. Um, number one, uh, I had recently been removed from uh, presenting about ASIC resistance at the ETC summit when the uh, executive director, Bob Summerwell of the ETC Cooperative, decided that I had massive conflicts of interest because of uh, conferences I had previously spoken at and clients that um, my uh, previous company served. I was like, okay. Um, I believed that was a form of censorship. I wholly disagree with his methods, but whatever, his conference. Um, Bob, went and somehow conflated that with ProgPal and created a ton of confusion and honestly a ton of incorrect information which caused so much stress that it started to bleed over into the Ethereum community. Some of the nonsensical myths were that um, Craig Wright had somehow written ProgPal and held a patent for ProgPal. That's my favorite one so far. Um, so you know, let's just attribute all of, all of my work to Craig. Sure, why not? As well as the, I still, don't, <laughs> I still He's don't also Satoshi. <laughs> exactly. <Ten year. laughs> I don't understand how Craig Wright wrote ProgPal, but um, I'm funded by Nvidia to also create ProgPal. These are some of these conspiracy theories don't line up with each other. I think there should be a better job in the internet uh, hype machine. And then there was this um, nonsense where suddenly uh, Bob Summerwell took a stand and said, ProgPal is obvious collusion by Core Scientific, NVIDIA, um, uh, Calvin Iyer and Craig Wright, and uh, Christy Lee Minahan to take over the Ethereum network. So to break that down, you have a GPU manufacturer, a, um, a Bitcoin mining company that wants no, has no interest in any other network, uh and are you guys still there by the way the camera's frozen oh it's mine frozen oh there we go we're here it's uh, yeah sorry yeah. good good yeah we're here um so you have a so you have a bitcoin company um uh people someone that's very passionate about ethereum you have a gpu manufacturer that wants no involvement in crypto at all and you have an infrastructure company that's just like we don't fucking care about any of this mm -hmm. um and specifically an infrastructure company that is just starting to get into the blockchain space and has never dealt with any of this non nonsensical stuff at all. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a complete mess of a conspiracy theory. 
but Bob pushes this, pushes this narrative. It was a culmination of things. Number one, it became apparent that no one was going to fight that FUD and no one was going to actually stand up and defend ProgPow simply because other people don't uh, either have the necessary technical background because you do need a background in hardware manufacturing and hardware engineering to be able to debate ProgPow um, truthfully. Um, no one was going to uh, take a stand against some of these um, outrageous claims because people peer, uh, fear for their businesses and they fear for the backlash. We've seen Lindsay actually ban people from their channels the moment someone uh, started to um, debate them or contested with their views or myself getting removed from uh, speaking conferences because, you know, of some of the views that I hold. Um, and so, um, I think it was someone in the Ethereum community also told, uh, or I've heard it multiple times, the proposer of the EIP, their job is to um, convince the community why it is valid and important instead of just leaving it there to die. I'm not able to do any of these things as, um, as CTO of a uh, company. I'm just not. I have to speak and uh, represent the company and represent their best interests. And quite frankly, I also don't have a lot of time. ProgPow is incredibly draining. And there's work to be done on implementing some of the clients. Um, there's work to be done on writing some of the articles, uh, pushing back against these, uh, this FUD. There's work to be done out you know, in conferences and helping to educate. It takes a lot of time. It, it almost is a full-time job unto itself. So I sat down with the team and said, hey, this is, this is, become kind of important to me. I didn't realize it would be important, but it is. Um, and so I decided to step down and focus full-time on ProgPal for the foreseeable months. And it was a bit of a shock decision for both parties. Um, but honestly, I think it's gonna be for the best. Now, for the reason why I'm so passionate about it, it has little to do with ProgPal. Actually, it has um, everything to do with the fact that I hate people spreading technical misinformation and I can't open my mouth and fight back against it. So a lot of what Lindsay has done has created these fake um, technical mumbo jumbo articles that they post on Medium, um, somehow stringing together technical words to say, hey, we could build an ASIC for ProgPal. No one's publicly um, pushed back against them, except for one person. They used a pseudonym of Sarah Osborne, which was immediately removed from uh, Lindsay's Medium page. Um, no one's taken the time and no one has potentially the technical skills to go and push back against uh, Lindsay or against, um, against a lot of this FUD that comes out. So just to reiterate what you said, are you saying that, uh, so we, we talked about why ProgPow could in theory be good for Ethereum because of mm -hmm. the, the bricking of the ASICs. But what you're saying is that, uh, I mean, you think that's good, but your main motivation to spearhead ProgPow is because of the lack of understanding behind it? A bit of it, yeah. yeah. And there's no one else that's going to carry that mantle. And that's, mm -hmm. I've waited a year and a half for someone else to pick up that mantle. And mm -hmm. I've watched people that have tried to publicly defend ProgPal get absolutely torp, torn apart by the mob. Right. So when I've tried to do this before, um, I've put uh, my company in jeopardy or people around me in jeopardy. Because what ends up happening is, the moment you attack someone's financial you know investment they're going to come after you right all of a sudden when i have no conflict of interest and no ties boom right. there's there's nothing to lose um 
Now, I briefly touched on the at hash uh, light cache vulnerability, and I want to highlight on that. Um, shortly after I joined Core Scientific, um, I learned that quite a lot of the um, FPGA space is supposedly using this. So this is a very specific vulnerability in, in, in at hash where you can actually bypass the DAG entirely. So the DAG is um, this growing memory, uh, physical memory cache, I guess you'd call it, that increases linearly over time. And it's meant to um, slowly phase out older GPUs and bring new ones in and make it a little bit harder to mine. There's a vulnerability in, a in, in, in at hash where if you have a very small amount of SRAM, the fastest, um, fastest memory uh, currently in hardware architecture, you can bypass that entirely. And you can get some insane speed ups on Ethereum. You can also bypass the memory bandwidth portion entirely, which means that all of a sudden um, the memory bandwidth limit on your, you know, your GPU card. This usually uh, means the maximum amount of mega hash you get from a card. Um, so say if you have 800 gigabytes per second on one card, that's your memory bandwidth, you'll get a maximum of 80 mega hash. All of a sudden with this vulnerability, you can get um, anywhere from 10x to 100x speed up. The problem with this is it's very, very technical. The only people that um, can pull it off have to have a very, uh, very strong engineering skills when it comes to GPU compute. Um, it does require potentially either an FPGA accelerator or a full FPGA, which are not commonly available right now to miners at scale and actually have geo, um, geo restrictions and no one's speaking up about it. Now, when I was at Core, I can't, I can't actually go out as CTO of a company and start talking about vulnerabilities in networks. That just doesn't happen. Um, but now uh, I, I, told, um, I told a small group of the developers um, about this vulnerability and they've all been asking, hey, why don't you publish a report on this and post it? Now that I've stepped down from my role, this is the perfect time. Now. Wow. So that vulnerability, oh yeah, go so ahead. The vulnerability is another thing that benefits uh, centralized companies who have economies of scale because they're the only people that can know how to do this and have the funding to be able to do this. And so it's a correct. It's, it's same in line with the ethos of protecting GPUs. This vulnerability does the opposite. And so it's correct. kind of with the same goals as ProgPow. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So ProgPow, um, we knew of this vulnerability when we were creating the ProgPal, but we didn't think it was feasible to actually implement um, because it was just like, oh, well this, there are things in cryptography where it's like, oh, theoretically you could do that, but getting it in practice is kind of impossible. And I tried many times, by the way, and I failed, um, but I kept trying at it. And it wasn't until I started getting involved in the FPGA scene that it became more apparent. Now, there's been two Chinese manufacturers in the FPGA scene that claim to have this exploit. And you also see FPGAs out there around the ecosystem advertising, hey, we can get 2.1 giga hash at 250 watts, which is an insane speed up over a commodity GPU. An insane speed up. Some of these are scams, but they all seem to coalesce around that same number, either 1.7 giga hash or 2.1 giga hash. Turns out there is something to that number. Um, so the thing that I meant about FPGAs being locked into certain regions. So FPGAs um, with uh, very powerful chips are actually region locked might be the right word, 
in that um, they're heavily, they're not allowed to be traded to certain countries um, because of their uh, usability in weapons or um, other kinds of dangerous activities. Um, so they're restricted. They're under the, um, uh, I forget the exact act it is, but it's um, a list of all kinds of equipment that's restricted from uh, countries with known associations with terrorists. So they're heavily restricted. You can't sell FPGAs to places like Ukraine, um, certain parts of Russia, certain parts of Africa. They're just not globally distributed like that. Um, the FPGAs used for crypto mining are incredibly high density and high power. And um, a lot of people are incentivized to pick them up for cheap and repurpose them for the AI or the ML space because the cost difference is quite massive as well. So both Xilinx and um, Intel keep a heavy watch on how these FPGA chips are used or the supply chains around that. Um, a Chinese manufacturer is advertising that they've purchased 2,500 of these things and they've sold it all to the largest bidder and they're using the app hash um, like cache vulnerability. And then you have um, other hardware companies um, such as uh, SQRL that are currently um, selling uh, FPGAs just for Ethereum mining, and they're centralized and clustered and only available to a select few individuals. So it's kind of a mess all around. Um, that kind of gap between commodity GPUs is, is dangerous. You've got a lot of infrastructure that was built out in early 2017 during the Ethereum gold rush, as they call it, you know, the big price boom and the big crypto boom people got into mining and they brought out tons of GPU capital and tons of GPU infrastructure. And these people have actually done a lot of good for the Ethereum network. Um, Hudson, Hudson actually talked about what Sparkpool, I believe it was, has done for the Ethereum community. They have a huge um, cluster of developers and they've contributed on the infrastructure side, the block explorer side, to some of the rewards and grants. Same with Ethermine. Um, might be Bitfly, I think, Peter Pratcher, and um, he's contributed quite a lot to funding and to a lot of the EIPs. So these miners aren't just taking from the network, they are giving back in quite large amounts. But these centralizing entities usually are not going to be in line with the incentives of the network. They are just there to make a profit. And I can confidently say the people that do purchase FPGAs right now at scale are just there to make a profit. Um, now you can only do this uh, like cache vulnerability with certain kinds of cards and i'll elaborate a lot on that when i actually do publish the report that same vulnerability is also what i believe is being used in canon's asic though i haven't actually got a physical asic to confirm but it does line up with some of their estimates so yeah there's a lot of drama going on <laughs> mm -hmm. christy so at least in the bitcoin community there's this kind of like underlying assumption that miners will always just chase profit like that their oh. businesses they're building data centers you know we're we're not expecting them to be like benevolent in any way be a community member even though they they very well are and they have a lot of skin in the game mm -hmm. but the expectation is that they're going to just do what's best for their bottom line what like can you talk about kind of like mm -hmm. the attitude from the ETH community towards miners? So how they view miners? So even so Bitcoin and Ethereum still have this uh, view, this very incorrect view that miners are somehow um, uh, just out, out for themselves. It's not true at all. Um, you have 
a large majority of the Bitcoin miners are huge contributors to the community. Same ways that I've just explained with the Ethereum community. A lot of them are doing a lot of the social outreach and building. And while um, when I originally created ProdPow, I did take pop shots at Bitmain, um, Bitmain has actually cleaned up their act quite a bit. And they've gone out and they've reinvested back into the Bitcoin ecosystem. They've created wallets. They've created block explorers. They're building out pools. They're launching pools with zero fees. They're heavily um, at WDMS, um, which I think is next week or the week after. They're revealing their um, mining farm reports. They're hosting competitions. You know, they're investing back into the ecosystem to help create a lot more transparency around um, crypto mining. So I talk about this quite a lot at length, the psychology of a miner. There's two kinds of miners. There always has been. There's your nomadic miners. These are people that wander from chain to chain and just chase profit. And they don't really um, care about the community at all. All they really care about is how much money am I making every day? So they don't sit in discords. They don't get involved in you know, governance discussions. They're wholly removed. They, don't, they also usually don't care about the technology too much. And then you have what's called tribalistic miners. So back in the early days of mining, back in 2011, 2012, you did this thing called spec mining, which was basically, hey, redirect all your hash rate at this brand new coin, mine a bunch of it, hold it, invest a little bit into the network in the hope that it will, you know, moonshot and you'll make a 10x, 20x, 100x return. Um, tribalistic miners resemble that a little bit. But what they resemble is also traditional investors. They actually look at the teams, they look at the technology, they get involved in a lot of the discussion and they start investing their hash power, which is their investment, um, into the network in order to support it. And they try and reinvest in the into the network to grow its value. Tribalistic miners stay locked into a chain. During the crypto crash in 2018, we saw quite a lot of tribalistic miners. So if you go back and look at the hash rate, for both Ethereum, Zcash, Monero, actually ignore Monero, it's pretty, pretty spotty all over, um, but Bitcoin as well, you'll actually see a lot of these tribalistic miners that stayed on their preferred chain. They never moved off, even when they were uh, burning their bottom line. Um, some great examples, however, uh, however, um, uh, don't know how to describe them, but some great examples are Roger Ver of Bitcoin Cash. So he's controversial, but mm -hmm. you know, he is a tribalistic miner. He stays locked into the Bitcoin Cash network. You have Calvin Iyer of BSV um, that stays locked into his network. You have, um, you have Bitmain that stays locked into the Bitcoin network. And you have um, a lot of the other pools like Slush Pool that stay locked into the Bitcoin network. Um, on the Ethereum side, you have quite a lot of Ethereum miners that do not move their hash rate whatsoever. They just have no incentive to. And quite a lot of those Ethereum miners kept running their miners even as they started losing profit because they believed in the value of the network. They believed that, hey, if you just hold this coin, if you just keep the hash power steady, it's going to get better. Tribalistic miners just stay locked in. So... The thing with miners is um, when I talked about how when people have a financial incentive, they'll do whatever it takes to grow their um, to grow a larger return. That applies for both um, GPU miners and ASIC miners. The thing with GPU miners is the kind of people that you attract 
They invest into the network in other ways. They invest through development, through infrastructure, through EIPs, through funding for some of the other applications and projects because they want more users. They want more transactions. It grows their rewards and their profits. We've seen this happen historically. Yes, you have a subset of miners that are incredibly vocal and uh, unintelligent. You have that in every single network. And um, unfortunately, a lot of those have sprung up in Ethereum, uh, supporting FrogPow, and it does give it a bad look, but so be it. Um, you have that in Bitcoin as well. What was surprising to me was how little uh, people how little experience people had in the Ethereum community when it came to mining at scale. Most people don't even understand that most large mining farms and most miners will run their own nodes. There's, there's just this massive disconnect between the two worlds. I think a large portion of that uh, comes from the fact that right now the Ethereum development community, the Ethereum foundation and core dev school, a lot of this takes place on Western media. Um, discussion happens on, you know, the Ethereum magicians forum. And it's a typical forum that, you know, might not be accessible to the Chinese um, or to people outside of the US mm -hmm. or outside of the EU. You have um, these core dev calls that take place at god awful, horrible times, US centric, which locks out a large portion of the population to contribute and get, get feedback and give their ideas. You have a lot of the discussion taking place on Gitter. Um, no average person that's just starting to get onboarded into the Ethereum network is going to go down, download Gitter, the worst client in the world, and start talking on a chat room that's tied to GitHub. Like, it's just, it's a very weird way of interacting. Um, and you have a lot of discussion also taking place on Twitter, of all things. So when you start taking most of your discussion on Twitter, you isolate the entirety of the Chinese population. There's no misunderstanding that China has a huge footprint in mining, just because China is a huge country as well. The same with, uh, same with Russia. Russia has a huge footprint in mining. They're big countries, of course they do. These people aren't sitting on Twitter all day. They're not getting involved in Gitter. They're not speaking in English. That's the other thing. Most of these discussions take place in English language. Um, so you're locking out quite a few of the ecosystem that doesn't have the capability to speak in English. Um, so yeah, that was, that was very interesting to see. The other thing was that a lot of, um, most of the big vocal proponents against ProgPal, people like, um, people like Amin uh, is a good example, simply see miners as scourgers and they talk, they talk in very unfavorable terms to the people that have basically ensured Ethereum, you know, has lived as long as it had. Ethereum would not have the valuation it has today if there weren't miners actually mining the chain and going out and spreading the word. Um, actually, thanks to the proof of work portion of Ethereum, this is the reason you have AMD working with consensus to build what could be, you know, a decentralized cloud that can overthrow um, Amazon. So you have a lot to pay, uh, be thankful for with the proof of work portion of Ethereum. So Just a I'm lot actually... of, oh yeah. Go ahead. I'd actually like to, to hop in here, speaking of both Amin and Gitter, because this is, I think, where I can actually start to, to add some value to, into this conversation, because this is where we get into the stuff I know about. Um, you, you initially talked about how um, the, the motivation for ProgPow was to uh, keep the social contract that Ethereum started way back when with, with mm -hmm. F, ETH, hash, ETH, hash, ETH hash, whatever you call it. Um, 
uh, which is to prioritize GPUs and decentralization and, and people who are minor slash community members. Um, but also built into the social contract of Ethereum is the transition to uh, proof of stake. Uh, and so we're, we are now theoretically, you know, a couple, uh, three, four months away from phase zero beacon chain launch. I mean, we don't really know when it's coming, but uh, we think it's coming at the Q1 2020. Um, and so every day that we get closer to um, proof of stake is a day that is another day that the whole world of mining in my opinion, stops becoming irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I'll totally give you the, uh, this point that I'm about to, to read where uh, Amin Chalamani posts in American Time on Gitter, so not really friendly to the Chinese miners, but what he says kind of illustrates this point. So I'm just going to read this real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, let's play it out. Scenario one, we don't do ProgPow. ASICs start to the, emerge in the market in three, six, 12 months. Uh, he doesn't know, he just kind of gives a range. Uh, Ethereum moves to proof of stake phase zero in six to nine months, and we start to finalize ETH, uh, Ethereum one with a beacon chain in 12 to 15 months. Uh, I actually don't know when this was posted. I think this was actually like recently, but I could be wrong. Um, so the ROI on the ASICs is roughly six to 12 months worth of mining. Is that enough money incentive to build the ASICs to execute 51% attacks, knowing that if 51% attacks are done, we can still switch to ProgPow at that time, bricking all the ASICs. Scenario two is we do ProgPow in three to six months. Uh, many community members and observer, observing special interests see this as a governance weakness and increase their lobbying efforts on the core devs uh, to make their concessions. Ethereum loses some of its potential as a neutral global settlement, settlement layer. And so uh, to finish up these points, he goes, why do we switch to ProgPow now when we could just pocket it and use it as a deterrent? In my opinion, it would be enough to perpetually, uh, it would be enough to be perpetually ready to implement ProgPow in, in case it is needed. And so this is why I think this argument isn't a technical one, it's a political one, right? Um, it's, it's not really about the, I think everyone's on board with ProgPow being a legit algorithm, but it's more about the politics and the governance process uh, surrounding mm-hmm. it. Um, so there are already is a weakness in the governance pro, uh, pro, process. ProgPal exposed that, which is as long as you can spread a bunch of fake doctored documents and a bunch of fake news, mm-hmm. you, as long as you're the loudest voice in the room, you can actually hinder um, changing anything. That was a huge issue in the governance process. So mm-hmm. what ended up happening was people exploited the natural... There's a psychology in crypto, and I might get a lot of hate for saying this, but it is true. There's a psychology in cryptocurrency enthusiasts, specifically on some of the proof of work side, where, oh, big companies are coming after our profits. Mm -hmm. It can be applied to the mining portion, to the proof of stake, this idea that big companies are going to be malicious actors. Now, I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong, but I'm going to say that that is a psychology that is easily preyed upon. Because when you come out as a very small, innocent, you know, ASIC manufacturer trying to stand up against the big guys and you paint these big shadowy corporations as coming in and capturing Ethereum governance, it freaks people out quite a lot. And most people did not have an opinion um, of ProgPal either way until that specific time, uh, sorry, until those specific arguments had come up. And then people got very scared. Oh, what if that's true? What if, you know, AMD and NVIDIA are colluding and trying to take over Ethereum. 
That is a big weakness that was publicly exposed. And now what's going to happen is some of these other EIPs, people are clever. And I I hear a lot because I I lurk in some shady uh, areas, but uh, sorry, go ahead. Um, Oh, no, finish your thought. When I point to myself, I'm talking to Christian. Continue your thought, Um, please. Um, no, I was just going to say that, you know, people are intelligent and they've picked up on the fact that this is a weakness in the Ethereum governance Mm. process now. Um, so it turns out that as long as you spread enough misinformation, you can get whatever you want delayed. What's to stop some of these folks from delaying proof of stake now? Just start talking about all the weaknesses in proof of stake. Start talking about weaknesses in a client. There's all sorts of uh, interesting stuff. So Christy, this is actually something that I find is scary about the ETH community's plan to make hard fork changes that require coordinating everyone and finding consensus um, is that that is inherently the opposite of decentralization. Decentralization makes it harder and harder to coordinate consensus. And as something becomes decentralized it's like you're you're running uphill you're you're swimming upstream if you're trying to actually make these changes and it seems as though the eth roadmap is completely dependent on being able to coordinate find consensus and you know get people to to work together and you know that again is is kind of inherently the opposite direction of how eth is going it's going against the momentum of the eth network i mean can you comment a little bit on that are you bearish on ETH's ability and the ETH community's ability to make this transition? Do you think that social engineering attacks are a real threat with this kind of uh, model for upgrading? Uh, Yeah, I would love to get your thoughts on that. I think a lot of attacks are being played out more on the social engineering side, just because Ethereum leaves itself open to it. It's the easiest attack to pull off. The dangerous piece is um, some of this blind religious fanaticism over proof of stake. For sure, there is a social contract for proof of stake, but Vitalik and Joe Lubin, um, there's that famous video that's been floating around of them at a recent conference uh, talking together. They've all acknowledged the fact that proof of work, um, sorry, Ethereum 1.0, which is the proof of work chain, and proof of stake, Ethereum 2.0, will live in harmony for the foreseeable future. These two chains will exist together side by side. You have to ensure that they're equally strong. This myth that we're going to favor one chain over the other just has to die off because it's creating an incredibly toxic culture and a lot of misinformation. It's not going to. Businesses have been built on Ethereum 1.0. I'm not talking about the mining piece. I'm actually talking about the application piece. Those developers will need time to port over their code and transition their code over. Some companies, for instance, um, for instance, Truffle, Uh, When I spoke at TruffleCon, I was surprised to see that a lot of the discussions and a lot of the topics are all centered around ETH 1.0 because they are dedicated to ETH 1.0. You have quite a few people that will stay on the ETH 1.0 chain. If the Ethereum slash Ethereum Classic fork has told us anything, it's that chains do not die. Um, So people will stay on their respective chains. Knowing that, um, I've noticed that there's a big blind spot where Um, A lot of the F2.0 researchers pay little attention to the weaknesses in F1.0 because they're just all like, hey, I want to go over to my preferred chain. I want to take the community over here. And the F1.0 developers are kind of just scrabbling to, you know, get their uh, stuff under, under control, make some interoperability. 
but they're not really paying attention either. There's, there's big weaknesses and gaps in here. Um, the other thing is, yes, if Ethereum right now is heavily focused on ensuring that there's that gentle transition to proof of stake. And right now with, I mean, think logically for a moment, if a bunch of people uh, go and buy an ASIC, um, they're going to be incentivized to ensure the network stays on proof of work for as long as possible. GPU miners will be okay. They will say, hey, we have GPUs, they can be repurposed for other uses, that's okay. They will be happy to move on and transition over. ASIC, ASIC owners, no, they're going to want to ensure that they can get ROI on their device. Um, and they're going to be very fanatic about it. Um, we've seen this quite a lot with the Bitcoin mining community as well. People are all about how do I get as much ROI as possible out of my device. Um, six to 12 months ROI is not going to be realistic for an ASIC. We're looking more at 18 months. Um, the moment an ASIC manufacturer advertises, hey, you know, I can reach six month ROI, nine month ROI, a bunch of people buy the device and six months ROI isn't possible anymore because that's how mining works. That's, that's how difficulty increases work. Um, I guess I ranted a little bit on there, but hopefully that answered your question a bit. So, yeah, so the, the, we, the goal is to not split the chain. Uh, yes. And so now that if, uh, regardless of whether uh, ProgPow should be or should not be contentious, it is now contentious. And so implementing it might split the chain. Uh, and so I so, think that's something worth considering when we talk about should we ProgPow. So the thing to understand is you're going to split your chain regardless because it's going to proof of work and proof of stake. It's, mm -hmm. going, to, it's going to split regardless. That, that is unknown. Now you have to analyze the risk of are I mean, we, we don't know that for sure though. Well, I, I would hope that you're going to go to proof of stake and you're right. going to have one. I mean, mm -hmm. I hope there's all that development right. going on. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so, like all the, all the efforts on 1X get implemented on Ethereum 2 as well, right? Like those aren't lost. And so what, if they're we want not to... lost, but they're going to work in harmony together mm -hmm. for, um, right. as Vitalik well, said, at least two to five years. Right, right. And then it's gone. Correct. And it's gone. So, okay, so, so, so you you're saying to... that ProgPow is good for that time period. Correct. You have to make an analysis, a decision over what do you do for two to five years to protect mm -hmm. the chain's integrity and ensure there's that gentle transition. So knowing that there's going to be that split of 1.0 and 2.0, you then look at how is 1.0 going to split in two pieces, an ASIC portion and a GPU portion. Mm -hmm. Well, what's going to happen is um, people follow the most valuable chain. And if there's enough GPU miners, which there currently are, because Ethereum is still the largest GPU mineable coin, they're going to um, push over to that GPU mineable chain. However, once a lot of these ASICs that are now being announced gets, get released and start getting onboarded into the ecosystem, you're actually going to lose out on having any kind of advantage there. Simply because right now, um, the way mining, the way hash power voting works is it's about the raw number of hash power. It's not about the amount of devices you have. Um, so it's, it's a, another weakness that can be exploited. You know, if you have a device that's worth uh, that performs 10x over a GPU, you have 10x worth the supposed votes. The last piece of that is um, just from my bird's eye view, and I'm starting to get back into a lot of these debates, but one of the big pushes for proof of stake was that uh, proof of work mining is inherently wasteful. Um, I have a lot of trouble understanding why people like Amin and there's another gentleman called Hunting Island 
would actually support um, at hash knowing that ASICs are being created for it, why they wouldn't uh, support, uh, push for prog pal because what ends up happening is you have a bunch of silicon and a lot of these devices that are laid out to keep mining at hash for the next um, few years and they end up getting bricked and then there's a ton of wasted silicon out there in the world now, what, ha what happens, we saw this, um, pot potentially other people didn't see it, but during 2017 and 2018, I lived through that. So the 2017 mining boom contributed to, contributed to a large flourishing in the Chinese hardware market, where memory prices skyrocketed, which affected your consoles, which affected your phones, it affected commodity GPU prices. It was insane. And then when the crash happened, there was all this silicon out there that all of a sudden you couldn't you couldn't sell any new products. No one wanted your new products. They could buy old products. When all this, uh, when all this silicon gets um, unused, no one's going to buy it. What's going to happen is it goes into a scrap heap and it's, it hopefully gets um, melted down and then sold off into parts. But it's, that is inherently way more wasteful to me than, hey, more GPUs on the network, okay, then they go scatter off into other chains or they get redirected to um, potentially golems up and running and a commercial product by then. Maybe they all get redirected to golem. Who knows? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very bizarre. That's never talked about. It's like, yes, we hate waste, but we're willing to um, push for ASICs on the network. That is, you don't want to incentivize that. It's going to create a lot of chaos. Um, it's not like Bitcoin. So the other thing we see a lot in the community is pe people making these parallels between Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's the wrong way to think about it. Um, Bitcoin has its own psycho psychology, its own ecosystem, and its own group of miners. It's inc incredibly different. It actually favors um, more enterprises now. And ASICs are healthy and important for Bitcoin because there's so many years of build up there. There's flourishing supply chains now for Bitcoin ASICs. You have a lot of decentralization. Go to Ethereum. Um, most people don't realize that Canon, um, so Canon made a statement uh, about their new ASIC, by the way. It's only going to be available for Chinese residents. That's it. There's your centralizing force. Bitmain's E3 was only to be sold to China and Taiwan. InnoSilicon has only sold their, uh, their devices um, to Chinese residents. Lindsay claims, hey, we'll go sell it. We're only going to sell 200 and we'll give it all away to developers, which is really stupid because developers never mind themselves, but hey, whatever. Um, but, you know, um, ASICs are inherently in Ethereum right now, a very early supply chain that's going to be targeted towards the Chinese hardware consumers. Whereas you focus on GPUs, everyone has a chance to play. You can buy a GPU in, Uk in Ukraine, in Russia, in Belarus, anywhere in the world. And you can just jump in and start contributing and get onboarded into the Ethereum ecosystem. So that about wraps up all of my questions. Christian, do you have any other questions? No, Christy, as usual, uh, you bring so much insight to this podcast. So I really appreciate you making the time to come on. I guess, you know, would love to hear a little bit more about like, you know, what's going to be your focus in the short term and who do you want to hear from? So I think a big portion of this right now is I would love to hear actual feedback from the, um, from some of the core developers as well as some of the community about why they think prog pow is dangerous. Stop listening to all this FUD and all this noise. Just start asking hard questions about, Hey, here is prog pow. Hey, um, you know, how does it accomplish this goal? Start learning a little bit more about miners. Come to me, ask me, I'm available on Gitter, Twitter, 
you know, all the chat apps now. Um, I literally have no excuse for not being online. Helping me understand what questions need to be answered around ProgPal would also be incredibly helpful. So right now that's a bit of a gap. I have to play catch up and see what a lot of the arguments for or against were. Some folks have done a fantastic job. Scott, um, Scott Lewis, I think, with his Trello board did a fantastic job. And what was the other one? It was Kylo, Kylo. Mm-hmm. Kylo, or yeah, Kylo. yes, that, that spectrum of arguments that get organized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely fantastic. So I like that a lot. It helps me focus down and narrow down and answer some of those questions. Um, just come talk, come be open. And the people that keep saying that, hey, my arguments are immediately invalidated because I have a conflict of interest, well, any conflict of interest has been removed. And just like I said to Bob, um, Bob Somerwell, my statements are just as valid as the next guy's. And at the end of the day, ProgPal is 30 lines of code. It does what it says on the tin and there's nothing fur- further. There might be a political portion to this discussion, but um, if, right now a lot of this discussion is inherently technical as well. Hey, how does it, how does it achieve ASIC resistance? The community has to decide whether they want to follow that political portion. I'll contribute my views, but you know, I'm just going to be lost in the sea of voices. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for the next three to four months, I'm just going to be focused on ProgPal entirely. Um, after that, I think I'm going to take a nice vacation. <laughs> and honestly, I'm considering getting out of the crypto space entirely because I am not cut out for a lot of the drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not the first person I've heard, I've heard that from recently. Crypto, if you, if you get involved in a contentious issue in crypto, it can be quite draining. Christy, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, I'm going to go like take a job as an accountant. Something incredibly (laughs) boring. All right, Christy, uh, did you link yourself on Twitter? Oh, God, a girl. Oh, well, there you go. You did it for me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's one one of the few Twitter handles that I I remember. I I know off the top of my head. Oh, God, a girl. Super funny. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you can also follow the podcast at POV crypto pod, five star reviews, please. Uh, and you can also follow me at trustless state, both on Twitter and on medium Christian. Yep. Follow me at CK underscore snarks. Uh, we love to have these kind of discussions. We've had Amin on the podcast multiple times. We've now had Christy on the podcast a couple times. We have a lot of Bitcoiners. We have Decred people. If people are quality, they're going to be on POV Crypto Podcast. So again, thank you to all our fantastic guests, including Christy. And honestly, I'm excited just to see how all of this plays out. I'm very lightly invested in Ethereum. So it's mostly just popcorn to me. And uh, yeah, I'm, you're invested I'm, by G- GPU miners. So this is particularly relevant to you. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of mining. So if I'm going to invest in ETH, I guess it'll be in hard work. You know, in general, uh, you know, I appreciate, you know, getting these kind of uh, conversations on. So I uh, really appreciate it again, Christy. And follow the show, guys. Thank Cheers. you so much for the time today, guys. Have a good one.
It's a fool, you too.